Welcome to The Brain Food Show. This is our last Christmas episode. I'm right about that, right? This is the last one. I think it is. Last week it, was. it is. I had a bunch of other stuff, but I was like, that's enough Christmas. Let's move on. I was getting bored with it. I'm, I'm getting... I don't want to say that because we're just about to crack on with an episode all about Christmas. <laughs> no, this is like, a really good I'm one. I'm bored. I'm going to be super low energy this episode. <laughs> well, you have to be interested. Like, like I mean, like the first couple we did, like the sledgehammer one is one of my favorite, you know, and it's like that. I'm like super interested of, you know, after it's just like, I don't know, another Christmas one. If I'm not interested, it's not going to come across as interesting, you know, when we talk about it. So like if we're not, if we're bored, you know. That's true. Yeah. There is other interesting stuff. But but this was the most interesting, so we just stuck with that, and then we're going to move on to other interesting things. No, I, I have to say, this episode, you're right, it has one of my favorite of all time, as mentioned in the podcast last week, one of my favorite of all time episodes that we've done on Today I Found Out, all about the uh, the riot at West Point. So yeah, we'll get into that. Are we doing a quick fact to get things off? We are, and um, uh, so here we are. It's basically... Here we are indeed. <laughs> the, so we have a young woman we do she's an airline ticket agent she is you know and she what she would really <laughs> like to be <laughs> is, i'll stop <laughs> what she would really like to be is an author she wants to be a writer as, as many people mm-hmm. dream of and so lucky for her she has a friend uh named michael and michael brown and and the friend's uh wife joy and so she's in Michael for, I don't know, people maybe in Broadway have heard of him, but he was a very successful, you know, composer, lyricist and everything on Broadway, super rich, uh, doing quite well for himself, a good friend to have. So Christmas of 1956, the couple <laughs> send her a little present and it's just uh, basically it is a year's worth of wages for her uh, as her airline ticket agent job. And it, and it came with a note saying, uh, you have one year off from your job to write whatever you please. Merry Christmas. That is oh. a good Christmas present. And like, normally like giving money is often like the not thoughtful way, you know, people consider like, you know, yeah. to give a Christmas gift. But this one's like super thoughtful. It's like, here's your dream. We're giving you your dream for a year. Make it happen. She subsequently you know? used it to pay off her credit card debt. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 she, she did. She subsequently used it to quit her day job at the airline nice. as a ticket agent and then spent the year writing. And not only did the Browns help her in this way, but they also put her in touch with the literary agent, uh, Maurice Crane, who would then help her get her novel published when she eventually wrote it. And so, but the original novel wasn't great, but uh, it was kind of more like read like short stories all stitched together into one thing. And so they worked with her for actually it ended up being about two and a half years of rewrites uh, with her editor, Tay Hohoff, uh, before it was finally ready to be to be published. And they kind of said, eh. This will probably sell a few thousand copies or whatever. That was the anticipation. She's a no-name author. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll come out. So shortly after publication in 1960, however, it got picked up by the Book of the Monk Club, then Literary Guild, then featured in Reader's Digest, won a bunch of awards, including the Pulitzer Prize. Whoa. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And 1962, an award-winning movie. Uh, And to date, over 30 million copies of this book have sold and translated in over 40 different languages. And even up to 2009, which was the last time I could find figures of this, uh, every single day she was averaging $9,249 every day in royalties from this book. And so, yes, this was a Christmas present that, you know, changed her life, obviously. And so who is this woman? Isn't this like the third episode in a row we've said we should write a book? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And a Christmas, something to do with Christmas. Wow. Yeah, but either way, this one was this one was not so much to do with Christmas other than the present. But yeah, I was trying to work it out. Like, well, what was the book? The book, 
was To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. There you go. Yeah. There you go. If not for this Christmas gift, that never would have cool. existed, most likely. Wow. Do you reckon those browns, they were like, hey, Harper, slice this yeah. off a bit. That's uh, yeah. $9,000. Well, they were already well off, so then they could probably just feel really good about themselves. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that you left the, the, the titles to the ends because I was like, oh, what is it? Oh, yeah. I was trying to do like a, so like a Paul Harvey, you know, like the rest of the story, like where he does at the very end where mm-hmm. he just gives the big reveal about who he's talking about. But, you know, it was, it was nice. You did well. We should do that. We should do that more often, I think. Yeah. The problem is then, like, I feel, I don't know, I guess if uh, Paul Harvey made it work for, for so long, I'd always yeah. be like, the first few times you do it, it's amazing. And then you're it kind is. of be doing it and people will be like, oh my God, who is it? Who is it? And then at some point it's going to just, it's going to be so built up that there's no way you're not going to be disappointed by whoever's revealed. I used to, I used to listen to this as a kid and I loved it. I don't, I think, I feel like every time it was always like, whoa, that was, you know, like George Washington or like whatever. It's just some sort of a, the thing I feel like, but maybe I'm completely misremembering how that show actually went. And maybe he didn't even do this whole reveal thing at the end. Maybe that's just in my head, but I no, feel like that was a thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it seems yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Wix. Wix allows you to create a website for your personal brand, your business, your wedding, maybe a podcast, whatever else you can think of, really. Listen, I've got some personal experience with Wix. Wix knew we had a YouTube channel. They found out we were doing a podcast. You know this story. They were like, ah, we can hook you up with that. You can make a website on Wix. It'll look great. It'll be perfect. And it was. On the homepage, I added the Wix podcast tool, and boom, all my episodes just appear there in a player with titles and everything. This is just one example of all the great technologically advanced features that Wix has. I mean, maybe you're a photographer. Maybe you need a beautiful gallery. Wix has got you covered. Maybe you want to run an online store. Well, Wix absolutely does that too. And Wix websites, they also look great on mobile with basically no extra effort. I didn't even know this before I was recording this ad. I was like, ah, really? So I open up Chrome on my mobile. I type in brainfood.fm where you can find our website, by the way. And it looks great. Like I say, I didn't even try. You can check out that website, brainfood.fm, to see what I'm talking about. But Wix offers unlimited pages and top-grade hosting and that's for free. You can upgrade to their premium plans for as little as $5 a month if you want to get even more. Just go to wix.com forward slash go forward slash brain food and get started. Again, that's wix.com forward slash go forward slash brain food to get started. That supports this show. It allows us to keep doing what we do. And also, it's, uh, yeah, Wix is a great experience. Just go do it. Now let's get back to the show. So what's the big subject today? Are we doing like one big subject or is this kind of tradition? This one's, this one's kind of a little bit of a more random bonus facts, but um, kind of the two main ones are going to be this riot and then we'll just yeah. have kind of a lot of little bonus facts and stuff to go. But Are we, are we, starting, are we starting with the riot? Yeah, the eggnog riot. Uh, so as you might imagine, you get young cadets, you know, together, young men, basically. Uh, they drank a lot, you know. So early 19th century is the setting here yeah, at the United did. States Military Academy at West Point, which was founded in 1802. And right from the beginning, they were kind of known for their drinking. It became a problem. Obviously, it's a military academy. They would like to not have, you know, drunken guys with guns and stuff going around. Uh, so to stem this, so 1826, the academy's superintendent, uh, General Sylvanus Thayer. Best name ever. General Sylvanus Thayer. Yeah. It's pretty good. Sylvanus, you don't really hear that uh, much anymore. I've never heard it before in my life. <laughs> no, that's I've heard of it before, but it's like, so that's kind of a cool name. Yeah. 
don't know. Either way, either way. So he decides to ban alcohol, right? So it, completely, you can't have it on campus anymore. But this became a problem because the cadets are like, hey, we got Christmas coming up and we want to have a party and we want we want to have some eggnog and some stuff. And so you'd usually add like rum or whiskey to the eggnog. And oh, yeah. so that's like the whole point is to, you know, of eggnog in the first place. I mean, like modern, you can just get it at the grocery store with no alcohol. But like traditionally, it, a lot of alcohol was included of various types. So they decide to smuggle in some rum and whiskey. And so there's a few taverns around and they, they settled on Martin's Tavern. And so they, they want to, it's actually some students in the North Barracks that, that, that uh, do this. So three cadets, they, they cross the river, they go to the, the, the Martin's Tavern and they buy three or four gallons of whiskey <laughs> to bring back. Uh, and then they bribe, when they come back, of course, they have to, to get back in, they have to bribe the, the person, uh, kind of the gatekeeper type thing. And so they gave him 35 cents, which is about $7 <laughs> today. To look the other way. As he must they have been smug- low paid. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, whatever. I don't like care. a $7 yeah. bribe. What you yeah. buy? Like a fancy latte? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they smuggle it in. Um, and uh, so the fateful night, Christmas Eve, they just two, two people are put in charge of kind of making sure everything uh, stays calm in North Barracks is Lieutenant William A. Thornton and a Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock. I gotta ask, is that how you pronounce that word in the States? Ethan or what? Which one? No, no, no the barracks. We, I think so. That's I could cool. just be completely That's so different. What do you say? Barracks. What did I say? Barracks. I could just be pronouncing it completely wrong. That's one hundred percent possible. <laughs> In that case, I'm sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> I didn't mean to criticize. I was just like, "That's so weird," especially because we've also got the lieutenant lieutenant thing going on today. We should okay, discuss previously. Wait. Ethan, however, I believe we pronounce the same way. <laughs> barracks. Barracks. Is that what I was saying before? Barracks. Like okay, barack it's Obama. probably barracks. <laughs> yeah. like, no, All right. Carry on. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. This is my whole... I, just to bring up the whole pronunciation thing again. This is the thing. Like, it is so easy to be pronouncing words wrong yeah. that you just don't... Even common words. Because no yeah. one is like a dick like I am to you right now. And saying like, uh, excuse me, but you're, you're clearly pronounced. Like I pronounced, we did a video about Leonardo da Vinci yeah. on Biographic super recently. I spent the yeah. whole video calling him da Vinci because no one and in my entire life has deemed I know to this. correct me. I know this because people hopped onto YouTube to tell you that you pronounced it wrong in Biographics. I know. So literally in the comments on a random YouTube video, it's like, dude, <laughs> they were still getting on you about it. I know, Eric. but it's, it, it's like... Right. We, we do have these mental blind spots. And yeah, the thing totally. is, if anyone else, it's like, you know who doesn't criticize me for that? Other people who make stuff because they're like, oh yeah, yeah this happens all the time. Yeah, it, it totally. And well, and everyone in real life because you're just like, you know, yeah, yeah, we all we all do stuff like that. Like that, I can't even remember. There was a word a few months back that just completely, I was like, well, I don't know what anything means now because it was a word that I was so sure of the definition that meant nothing at all to do with what I thought it meant. Wow, and it was like oh, a I'd common word. It was just, I can't remember. It started with a P. I can't remember what word. And my, my, uh, my wife was like, that's not what that means. And I was like, no, yes, it is. Yeah. I know this word. Like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. So I look it up and totally it, nothing to do with anything at all. And I was just oh, like, I don't know what that word is. You can't do yeah. this. Well, no. And then I just completely from that point for a while was just like second guessing myself on every word. I was like, I don't know what any word means now. I was so certain about that one. This, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. it happens. But yeah. 
like I say, no one in the real world, except for your wife, will take yeah. you aside and be like, listen, uh, <laughs> you've not been using this word correctly. You should yeah. check this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or people on the internet, which is which is another reason why, because usually at this point, you know, I've written millions of words on the internet. You'd think I'd have stuff down, mm -hmm. but here we are. We are um, all flawed humans. <laughs> yeah. So going back to the to the eggnog riot. So about four a.m. Where was this taking you know, place? I believe it was in the barracks. <laughs> yeah. <that way. laughs> Sorry. <laughs> barracks. All right. So all right. So so the Hitchcock and Thornton they they go to sleep. Uh, and it's you know, uh, about it's uh, uh, Barack, but but wait, it's Barack Obama. So this would be in the barracks. Yeah. Barack, yeah. <laughs> Barack. Oh, yeah, that sounds so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. asleep. Four a.m. Yeah. Though Hitchcock, he gets awakened. There's some noise going on, and the, the cadets above him. So he goes up, and he finds some very drunk, drunk cadets, and then he orders them to go go back to your rooms, people, and nothing, you know, whatever. Just go back to sleep. He's not. He's not. You know, it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day now, I suppose. Uh, he's not going to do anything. But then he finds another another party in an adjoining room. So he goes in there. And these people were so inebriated that he reported. So it was, he reports that they actually hid under their blankets <laughs> as if he couldn't see them. And then one person used his hat to cover his face and just refused to remove the hat to, as if they would like somehow that he wouldn't know who it was. It's um, like, so you this don't is, see me. My eyes are closed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this, this, um, oh it was in this, this second party is where things, the first party, they just dispersed. The second party did not, they got really upset in the end. Uh, and so they get, they get out, they start arming themselves with their bayonets <laughs> and pistols and, and daggers and things. And they actually attempt to kill Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Oh it got so extreme so quickly. It's kind of gone from like amusing boys. I can see you under the blankets. You're not really hiding. To get the bayonets, we're gonna try and murder you. Yeah. So this was the start of what became known as the eggnog riot. Uh, so. Oh my god! This is the best thing ever. I totally forgot how funny this was. Yeah, the drunken cadets—they're gathering their weapons and everything, and so. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so as they're doing this, Thornton and Hitchcock, they see a few for a uh, few floors below. There's there's also parties going on. So they just they 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 return and they see. All right, so they find and this is where the, one of the historical figures comes in. Jefferson Davis, yes, that you know, Amazing. president of the Confederacy, was one of the drunken cadets. <laughs> and so they're trying they're trying. So Davis actually goes. It was reported that he goes in before runs into the room and it says, it says and says to the to other drunken cadets. Put away the grog, boys. Captain Hitchcock's coming. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Hitchcock comes and he actually orders Davis to leave. And Davis does this, which is good because had Davis not, uh, he probably would have been expelled as, as some of the others were, were soon to be. And this would have been, uh, for oh, I guess, good for him because, you know, he goes on to be the president of the Confederacy, has a quite successful political career. Um, none of that probably would have happened had he been expelled here. Um, so kind of for his own fame and remembrance and history, this was good that he mm -hmm. just left. But yeah, so the, the cadets, they're, uh, you know, attempting to attack Hitchcock once again. And now Thornton as well, because Thornton's there now as well. And so they threaten uh, Thornton with a sword and then someone knocks him over the head with a piece of wood. Oh and then one, one cadet actually shoots at Hitchcock. Uh, and so they, they kind of run off Thornton and Hitchcock, they flee because they realize things are getting out of hand. So they go to get the calm, the commandant of cadets to try to, you know, get things calmed down or whatever. Maybe maybe he can do that. But mm -hmm. the riot, rioting cadets, they decide 
that he when they see him, they're gonna they they think for whatever reason that he's summoning the the regular army people around to then come and attack them. So then they start arming themselves, and not just the partiers like some of the others that to sort of in the North Barac- barracks to uh, <laughs> to summon them to basically. So they they're getting all their weapons and all the they're kind of defending the honor of of that section of the things. So they kind of forming a little army in there and. Um, yeah, so eventually, eventually they did, the, the, the calm came and was able to calm everything down. And then that was kind of the end of things on Christmas Day. It ended, Amazing. but um, but in the end, in the end, there was an investigation and 22 of the, the cadets were um, were put under house, house arrest, including Jefferson Davis. Uh, but in the end, I think, what was it? Only 11 of that group was ended up being... Um, expelled but also robert e lee was part of the the testified for the defense of the students so that was he was also involved uh, in some manner as well so yeah so then uh, a couple decades later when the they uh, built some new buildings and stuff they actually designed it so the cadets would have to go outside uh, to get between floors and stuff so they couldn't all sort of like fortify staircases and stuff uh, and things like this so that couldn't be a thing that happened anymore um so yeah that was the the eggnog riot (laughs) This, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, like I said in the last episode when we talked about that burning goat, I don't know what it is about like just <laughs> drunken mischief that is quite so amusing. It is, especially like when you're thinking like soldiers, like future soldiers like this. Yeah, it's like, yeah. future presidents. Yeah, presidents and Robert, the Confederacy. Yeah, and, and Robert, Robert E. Lee, Lee, like famous. You're going to have yeah. to tell me, Robert E. Lee, he was a general, right, in the Confederacy. Yeah, he was. And he actually got offered the, uh, Abraham Lincoln, I believe, offered him the command of the North. And he, 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 his, his wasn't so much, he had like a, a major conflict. So he wasn't so much like sold on the South and everything. It was like supporting which cause, but he went cause he couldn't, he decided that he couldn't, in the end, he couldn't fight against his native Virginians. Uh, mm-hmm. So he decided he had to fight for the Confederacy and he was just kind of known for his brilliant strategies, like much smaller armies going up against much better equipped and everything. But, but in truth, if you actually look at a lot of the military strategy, it was sort of his you know, a great general, but also like just the absolute ineptitude of a lot of the generals of the North uh, also contributed to that. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a combination of those two things. But either way, there we actually did a piece once on the, the sort of the conflicts of Robert E. Lee and like sort of his how we decided to, you know, which side to support and everything like that. It was kind of interesting. I, but, I, yeah. I, I have vague recollections of this now that you're mentioning it. Yeah. So is he's kind of interesting. But he actually, I believe we should... Uh, the so Arlington Cemetery, you've heard of this? I have, yes. certainly. Yeah, so this was, I believe, was his land, and it ended up getting taken from him or his family. I can't remember which after, but it actually has a pretty interesting history we should cover at some point because uh, I don't know, it's kind of fascinating. We but did either way, about the changing of the guards. Uh, not yeah, that one. That one's, or whatever you call it. Yeah, the Sentinel, yeah. the, the Watcher. The, the... Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, those are kind of interesting. Who's in the, the buried in the tomb of the unknown soldier? Like, what? Mm-hmm. how did that come about and everything? Kind of interesting. And also, to be fair, it's about the military, it's about war, it's going to do well. It's going to do well and probably be demonetized, but also, you know, at least you can get sponsorship or something for it. Yeah, Um, and you get some views and some new subscribers, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. But, so that, moving on from that, so so we have, I mean, this is, you know, uh, cadets, this is like a famous university there. Uh, So, moving across the pond to England, so we have just as famous, or probably more famous, actually, university, Oxford University. About six Mm -hmm. six centuries ago, there was that one. This one is kind of a funny riot, but this one actually turned way more serious uh, in the end, but also kind of humorous how it ended up. So it's called the St. Scholastic's Day Riots. And uh, so it started over an argument 
over just the quality of ale, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have these two, <laughs> two, two students, which I mean, there's, it's not really clear who, I mean, the, the names that are thrown around are supposedly Walter Spragenhaus and Roger D. Chesterfield, but no one actually really knows who, you know, it's not really well documented what their names were, but we do know there was two students. They were in this bar, basically, and this, this tavern, Swindlestock Tavern. Yeah. And they decided they didn't like the taste of the ale that was being served there. So they complained to the to the landlord, uh, supposedly named John de Croydon. Obviously, this this happened like 600 years ago. So yeah, uh, some of the details like that yeah. are kind of contradictory from place to place. But the general story uh, is well is well documented. Uh, but the so they they, they decide they they don't like the ale. They complain to him and he does not appreciate their complaint about his his you know wares. And so he uh, supposedly responded something in kind that was less than, you know, kind. And so they <laughs> then throw the ale directly into his face. Uh, Wait, hang on. They don't throw the... Like, I imagined this when we when we first did this, like, as them kind of like, you know, getting a glass of beer and like yeah. holding the glass and throwing the beer in someone's face, like emptying the yeah. glass, but holding onto the glass. Yeah. It's like, am I right? They just threw and it was like a tanker. They just throw yeah. it, the, the whole thing at the dude's face. Yeah, this is exactly what happens. And so what, <laughs> the the immediate aftermath, it's not really clear exactly how this happened. But so at some point, the infuriated landlord, he goes and rouses the local populace by ringing the church bell vigorously <laughs> to get everyone to come out to see what, why are they ringing the bell? And the students on their end also became furious and they ring their own bell at the university's church, you know, to rally all the students to their side. And so then we have these two groups. We have the, the general populace and then the, the students all gathered and then just a massive riot ensued in which just it was a few thousand people basically just going at it uh, at each other for with bows and arrows, swords, axes, everything. And and this one, obviously, unlike the eggnog one, actually turned really serious because it ended up being 63 students were killed and 30 of the townsfolk were killed. And so you might think at this point, like, really? Just over this, but like, how how could this spur this mass massive riot like this? And oh, it turns out kick off from all sorts of crazy stuff, though. Yeah, but at the same time, like, really, why would the townsfolk all hate these students? And it turns out they already hated the students, is just because they, there had been a lot of like tension between the university and the general town folks because the university students at, at this time they basically they were exempt from a lot of taxes. They were above the law in most ways. They could kind of just do whatever they wanted. Um, and they just had a lot of privileges like this and they, and they treated the townsfolks generally pretty horribly. I would say this isn't something that is absolutely unheard of today. Like in a big university town, there will be a divide between the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the students have to pay their taxes and stuff. But like, there's yeah. definitely like, uh, or I think there are divides. Yeah. So anyway. especially back then you have like... You know, these were all probably the rich and royalty, you know, the rich kids and stuff like that. And then you have the common folk, you mm-hmm. know, they were already that sort of divide sure. happening there. So, so yeah, as noted in the, and we have a little I like, the, the students stu- do seem kind of to be in the wrong here. Yeah. My, totally. Like, at least with this, it's like, I don't like your beer. Too bad. Don't drink it then. And then they throw a tankard in his face. <laughs> yeah. And this was just sort of common behavior. So we have like student resistance, a history of the unruly subject where it, where it notes. Uh, At the turn of the 13th century, thousands of students roamed the streets, randomly attacking hapless citizens and sheriffs who couldn't touch the marauding students out of fear of state retaliation. Yeah, and so this actually wasn't the first riot that had happened because of this. So there was one a little bit before the Oxford students uh, and the town folks. So so some some Oxford students had murdered a townswoman, you know, 
and I got in the way with it scot-free. So uh, this caused a little bit of a riot. And it turns out some of the students fleeing this one ended up helping found the University of Cambridge. Uh, they kind of moved to a new location. Um, so a uh, second oldest university in England after Oxford. So, uh, but in any event, wow. so yeah, they were above the law. Basically, this was the problem. And so th this major riot happens, lots of people die. And this to just show you kind of how, how this went. So like King Edward III, when he heard of the riot, instead of just, you know, trying to see what, all right, what happened? And like, clearly this is the student's fault in the first place. Uh, instead of that, he, this is kind of where I think some of the funny part comes in. So the he imposes these penalties on the town itself. The townsfolk are in the wrong, in, in his opinion. Um, so forcing the mayor to march bareheaded to the university to beg forgiveness from the vice chancellor. And he also has to pay a fine of 63 pennies, one for each of the of the students killed. And not just not just right then, but every year for all time was the law, like forever. And this lasted for 500 years, approximately, <laughs> wow. where every year the mayor would have to go do this thing and give the 63 pennies. And finally in 1825, when the mayor just refused, he was like, we're not doing this anymore. This is stupid. <laughs> Dumb, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this, uh, you know, the whole point was to beg forgiveness for, for killing the, the students. Um, oh, and also immediately in the aftermath, the students were given the right to control a lot of the trade around the town to sort of like hurt the economy of the, the common folk. And so they particularly like for, the, yeah, yeah, well, and it was actually some of the trade they got control of was the wine and beer. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. This is, uh, bizarre. So moving on from that. So speaking like uh, of things that don't taste good, fox urine. And Christmas oh, Fox Urine's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's not. I, so, I wouldn't know. So we have uh, National Christmas Tree Association claims about 25 to 30 million live Christmas thing, trees. The, the yeah. National Christmas Tree Association. Or yeah. The NCTA, for sure. <laughs> well, naturally. Uh, so it was 25 to 30 million Christmas trees are sold in the U.S. alone every year. And to accommodate this, there's actually about 350 million trees growing in the U.S., region they're just christmas tree farms basically so to get you know it takes you know however many years seven around seven whatever eight years or whatever so you get this you have all these trees right and so they cost about 40 50 dollars a piece so this naturally the expense of this naturally there's a lot of people who are just like hey there's a random tree i'll just go cut that down and and take that for free and so this this brings us to the to the the fox urine so it turns out that fox urine contains some various compounds that when and when it's cold out you can't actually smell them or anything. They just, whatever, you're not, you're not going to smell them at all. But when you take them inside to like a warm, warmed up region, it ends up smelling like skunk spray. And so it, uh, so there's some various places that have started using like the, the, the city of Lincoln, Nebraska uses this where they spray basically any of their trees in the parks and stuff around yeah. that, that look like they might make a good Christmas tree that someone might <laughs> chop down because uh, they, they had a problem with this. Uh, yeah. They just spray it with this, like a, a solution that includes this fox urine and it turns out that this works so well that, and they put signs up and stuff that, you know, show that they do this. And it turns out that this over the years has reduced their, uh, their problem of people poaching Christmas trees basically to zero. Uh, wow. no, one, no one does it anymore because they know they get sprayed and, you know, who knows at this point, maybe they don't even spray it anymore because, you know, you don't need to after a certain point, you could just say you did, yeah. but they used to. And then you just would never want to take one of these trees in your house. So actually, some other universities also use skunk spray for this very thing, like Washington State University, because they also had a problem with people cutting down random trees on their grounds. Uh, and they use skunk spray, which also, in the cold, does not really smell bad. But as soon as you take it back into the warmth, it will smell awful. Am I thinking so, you went to that university? Or am I just imagining that because you live in Washington uh, State? No, I do not. But I actually live quite 
you know, reasonably close to an hour. I actually flew there the other day. Um, yeah. Flew and landed nearby, I should say, to the nearby town. It was my night flight uh, certification thing. Kind of fun. There you go. Yeah. S- safe and sound, I assume. Here you are. Oh, no, it was uh, super good. It was uh, interesting because fly- uh, landing at night is a little weird because lights and you don't really see the runway too much until you get right on top of it. But the lights, it's kind of cool. It's very pretty. Uh, you just really very don't nice. want the engine to die at night because then you're not screwed per se, but like, you know, it's not the a good time. Of death is much higher. <laughs> it's extremely high because you can't see the ground until you get really close to it. Whereas when it's in the daytime, you can be like, oh, there's a nice field. I'll go land in that uh, at night. Not so much. So, but you know, engine didn't die. So that was good. Good times. Yeah. All right. So that was, I just thought that was kind of an interesting side. So we're kind of in the bonus facts section as uh, which probably should have mentioned. So now who wrote the night before Christmas? Because it turns out. This, this one, you know, one of the most famous, you know, it's kind of a tradition thing. Maybe we should put it in the tradition episodes, but it was originally called A Visit from St. Nicholas, and it was uh, first published on December 23rd, 1823. Mm-hmm. And this, it was published anonymously, anonymously, actually, at the New York Sentinel. Someone, no author listed, the person who delivered it did not say who wrote it, and it was actually uh, one Clement Clark Moore is thought to be the one who wrote it, and it was a friend of his that uh, delivered it. So this was kind of the the connection, the first connection to like, oh, maybe it was this guy who did it. He was actually a professor of Greek and Oriental literature, mm-hmm. and so he's. Most people think he wrote it today, and he eventually would would go on to say that he did write it, but he denied it for a long time, uh, and it was it was kind of thought that he denied it because he was you know a very distinguished you know uh, you know professor and uh, educated person, and he didn't want to be associated with this children's this children's story, basically, poem. But it turns out, so one of the reasons this thing is so significant is because a lot of the um, traditions we think, like when you think of Santa Claus stuff, even though Santa Claus is never actually mentioned specifically at St. Nicholas in the in the actual thing, the word Santa Claus are never said, but a lot of the ways we depict him. So at this time, there was lots of different ways to kind of the St. Nicholas character depicted. A lot of the traditions were random. Like it wasn't really solidified as like, this is, he's like this jolly old guy, you know, type thing wasn't really around and this this one kind of solidified that as the as the depiction of how we how we think of santa claus basically so like things like the um also the names and the number of santa's reindeer where this one kind of solidified that as the tradition uh his means of transportation using reindeer at all like mm-hmm. so before there was lots of different ways um the fact that he even visited houses on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day was that this was another one that popularized that concept. Um, and the, like I said, the overall appearance of Santa Claus and that he always brought toys for children and everything like that. Um, but oh, and the flowing beard, rosy red cheeks, uh, everything like that. But one thing that is different, uh, if you actually go look, I think people, you don't always pick up on it when you're reading it. But so so how does Santa get down the, the, the chimney? You know, the common thing is, oh, he uses magic, right? He shrinks himself or whatever. But yeah. in the at the time... This 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 sort of idea was not he used, didn't use magic. So like in this poem, if you look at it, it's a little old driver and his little round round belly and chubby oh. and plump and his tiny reindeer and so and his miniature sleigh is mentioned and their little hooves and so he was just a little miniature like thing <laughs> and so he could just fit down the chimneys naturally with no no magic needed. We've um, got him all wrong. Yeah, yeah, he's a tiny other, tiny thing. Yeah, otherwise, the, the depiction is basically like you think of it if you go read the story or whatever. And this his story was, again, just kind of solidified that as the, the way we think of Santa Claus and it's sort of uh, come about today. So it is, I mean, he did he did not claim it as his own. And finally, when he did his anthology uh, in 1844, his children convinced him to actually go ahead and admit that he wrote it because people had already thought he did anyway because his friend was the one who delivered it and all this. 
Yeah. Um, so he finally claimed it. But there is, uh, so apparently there is a distant relation of Moore's that some people say actually wrote it uh, through his wife, um, was Major Henry Livingston Jr., who did not at any point claim that he wrote it. But his children claimed that that he, their yeah. father had. Yeah. yeah. They, they claimed for like 15 years before that his father, their father told him the story and like it was like a thing. Um, so yeah, they claimed they did it and they claimed they lost the original manuf- manuscript in a fire, which is like, you know, yeah, come on guys. Yeah. There's <laughs> actually no evidence really that he did at all write it. So, but a lot of people still claim that it wasn't more, but uh, most people think it was more and that, uh, kind of interesting. I just thought it was kind of interesting. The, the way that originally, like we had all these different ideas of Santa Claus and St. Nick's and it was kind of just, you know, solidified by this one little poem that he wrote. And published yeah. anonymously for some reason. We just made a biographics video about Santa Claus. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we did we did one. We've done two fictional people so far. We did one on Sherlock Holmes on April Fool's Day, and it was one of my favorite ones because people were commenting like, "You actually convinced me that I was wrong about him being a fictional character <laughs> until the end." When you were like, "No, he's definitely a fictional character." But thanks for believing. <laughs> yeah. And then we did one about Santa Claus. So I was reading about this stuff recently. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So now we're going to go into to a little bit more rapid fire bonus text again. So 1930s Montgomery Ward, they, they have this thing where they give away promotional coloring books just to get people to come shop, basically. Yeah, they're free what is Montgomery to, Ward? Uh, it's just like a big, you know, shopping, you think of like a shopping chain thing, you know, okay. like a, you buy all sorts of stuff. So I don't even know if they're still around. It is a shop, Simon, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if Montgomery Ward is even around anymore or if they went out of business. It's probably like purchased by Unilever. Yeah. Uh, oh, the original Montgomery Ward is not around. It was uh, went from 1872 to 2001 and now is defunct. But I think there must be a uh, still a new one. Either way, back That's to the story. Point. Yeah. Back to the story. So they give away these things, but they decide they want to save some money in 1939. And so they're going to have one of their own people just write a new story. And so they don't have to buy these things from someone else. They can just print them themselves. So they pick Robert L. May. He's a copywriter from Montgomery Ward. And he was just kind of known for being good at, you know, little writing, little short stories and stuff like mm-hmm. that around work. So they just, I don't know, have him do it. Um, so he, he, he writes a Christmas story. Basically, he comes up with, he wants like an ugly duckling type tale. He thought that would be good. And he actually said it to the same verse as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And, uh, and eventually Denver Gillen was a guy who was an illustrator at Montgomery Ward. He ends up um, illustrating the book. And so this, this thing is a hit. 2.4 million copies given away the first season after its creation. And it did have a little bit of a, a downturn during the World War II because of, you know, rationing stuff. But afterwards picked up right back and it's today it's a, a christmas classic so what what was this promotional giveaway story and it turns out it was rudolph the red-nosed reindeer huh. still was a what classic came today up yeah absolutely and then you go with you like what is this it's a mystery oh it's this popular yeah. thing <laughs> yeah yeah so robert elmay or he actually didn't earn any money from this at first other than like his normal salary even though it was like this massively popular thing all oh, over the place he did it like as just as part of his job yeah it's uh, just part of his job so he doesn't earn anything but it turns out Montgomery Ward did an amazing thing for him because Robert L. May, his wife, was dying of cancer. Uh, and so she's dying and he's got tons of medical debt. He can't pay it or whatever. So in 1947, they're like, here, you have the copyright. It's yours for this thing that you created for us. Whoa. And so they just gave it to him. Uh, and then he obviously was able to leverage this to make a lot of money and was able to pay off his debts. And he did quit working for Montgomery Ward for a time, but then he actually just went back, I presumably, you know, bored, you know, just sitting at home or whatever. 
So we went sure. back and worked worked for them again and just retired ultimately in 1971. So we worked for them for quite some time, which is probably something to do. Uh, but yeah. Dude, so. he must have made some serious money. Like totally. Yeah. The the rights to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This is this is what I'm saying. A Christmas story. That's what you got to do. Something to do with Christmas. <laughs> and, it's, and you just got to get it to catch on a little bit. And it can be something silly. You know, people like silly things. And if, it, if it's tied into somehow in allowing people to throw a party, that's even better. Yeah. Like this, you know. We should do mine. a Christmas story about the eggnog riots. Yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Got to come up with something. But either way. So now, moving on, moving on. Joy to the World is a common, common Christmas song today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turns out this is not really like a Christmas song. If you actually go look at the lyrics, it's actually about Jesus's projected return, not his oh. birth. Yeah. Really? And so if you and yeah, everyone thinks it's a Christmas song, but actually just go read the lyrics. It's not what it's about at all. Um so yeah, that that uh that basically that one. And so now moving on, moving on to another one, Winter Wonderland. Uh so a lot of people think uh, I mean some people know what a parson is, right? I feel like maybe uh in Britain, right? Is this more of a known like what a parson would be? Uh isn't he like the like a, a church person? Yeah, exactly. But in the song, a lot of people have the misconception that this is actually a guy just named Parson, like a first name Parson Brown. Uh, no, and I wouldn't so this, think that. Okay. Yeah. And so this kind of changes the lyrics a little bit. So, you know, like when they're like, he's going to marry them or whatever when he's is in this town. Is the song like, da, 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 da. Yeah, exactly. Da, I like so, that song. Yeah. So that lyric is basically just to be, like, if you actually just know he's a minister, they're just saying like, yeah, when you come in town, if I'm going to marry someone, you can do the, you know, you can be the minister or whatever. But so yes, that's a common misconception. And so that is that one. So now moving on, Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells is another Christmas song. Dude, these that are isn't... rapid fire. I'm like, okay, yeah. next one. <laughs> <laughs> Jingle Bells. It's a Christmas song, right? But no, it's not a Christmas song. It, it's actually, uh, so at the time it was written, so there's a lot of these songs that are basically literally just fast cars and picking up women songs. Like this is like the teenagers of the day. These were the songs they were <laughs> singing and Jingle Bells is one of these. Wow. And if if you go look at the the full lyrics, it's quite, uh, you know, it's quite obvious that that's what it is. So if you like pretty obvious, for excellent. instance, for instance, we have the lyrics. Uh, he said, it says, I thought I'd take a ride and soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. And then, uh, Go it while you're young. <laughs> Take the girls tonight and sing this sleighing song. Oh. Yeah. And okay. so this, it was originally called One Horse Open Sleigh, and that was uh, made by uh, James Pierpont sometime around 1853, 1857 or so. And this was just, there was these were sort of these, fa- again, it's just like fast cars and picking up women's songs. There was tons of them like this at the time. Uh, and so, <laughs> or at the time, really, really <laughs> slow cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they had their sleighs and stuff. So yeah, he was hired by his uh, his brother to be who was a reverend um, in Savannah, Georgia, and to be the music director basically. And this is where he kind of came up with this song, this one hope and play song. And it was actually originally debuted as a Thanksgiving, you know, during a Thanksgiving program. It wasn't really again not really associated with Christmas or anything, just kind of a fun little song. And it it actually wasn't popular at all when he first came out with it. Uh, when it was publicly released by Ditson and Co. of Boston in 1857, it wasn't popular. Uh, then was also re-released under the new name of Jingle Bells and also flopped in 1859. Uh, and so then it finally just kind of slowly picked up steam over time. And then uh, rather than being like a general sleigh song had been popular by 1890, it was just considered like a Christmas song at that point. And that is when it really took off. Once it was associated with Christmas strongly, that's when it just like exploded in popularity. And now, you did. know, Christmas songs. 
Exactly. And so now it's one of actually, it's in one of the top 25 most recorded songs uh, of all time, uh, that one. So, and wanted to mention just briefly to finish up here, Jingle Bell. So they have the line 240 as his speed, right? So like how, I was wondering like, how, what does that even mean? What is 240 as his speed? You know, how fast is that actually? Turns out it's about 22.5 miles per hour because what they're saying there is two minutes and 40 seconds uh, for the mile. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty quick for a sleigh. Yeah, totally. He's yeah, he's cruising. He's, he's got his he's got his lady lady yeah. with him, and he's yeah. impressing all the ladies at twenty two point five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. He's like uh, he's in the Fast and the Furious. I left my life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, a really really slow quarter mile. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the snow, you know, sliding around, <laughs> impressing all the ladies. Yep. Ah. Uh, I like it. Is that it for today? Is that, that is, is that it that for is, Christmas? That's it for Christmas. We'll move yeah. on to something. I got a few ideas of what to do next. I'm trying to decide whether to start a new series, which is going to be hilarious, or just do something a little, because we haven't done anything like a, like a nice historic piece lately. Like maybe go back to some like interesting story or do the one that I'm thinking of doing, which is a little bit random and funny. You don't want to share it yet, do you? No. I don't no. even know what it is yet. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, we didn't have any feedback. Again, I mentioned last week we were pretty bad at doing feedback and then we didn't do anything to improve our feedback no. situation. Wait, do you have something? No, because, well, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that we didn't post, you know, if we haven't posted in a couple of weeks. So That's true. You know, we've been, yeah. Uh, yeah. Busy. You want to look at some reviews? Sure. Okay, just let me uh, bring it up. Right now, I have Logan Paul's podcast loaded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't ask why. Um Let's, uh, let's find some reviews for our significantly less popular podcast. God damn, that Logan Paul, he's a machine. Yeah. Uh, Machinai Kokoro says, this is the first but five stars, by the way. Uh, we've been getting a lot of reviews lately, which is nice. Thank you, that's everybody. Good. Yeah. Uh, this is well, the first we have podcast. been getting a lot of downloads lately, too. So, you know, that's true. I looked hand. at the graph the other day. That is, it's ticking up. Yeah. yeah. It's ticking up. This is the first podcast I've ever listened to. I really enjoy the new format and always look forward to the next one. Keep up the great work. And then they do an update. Still loving the podcast. Love the wide spectrum of information on subjects that I wouldn't get on my own. This is truly one of the few podcasts I wait eagerly for. Please continue to keep up the great work. Uh, then someone, DC, DC Denny, says, From YouTube to podcasting. Five stars. I think actually, technically, we went from podcasting to YouTube and then yeah. to podcasting. So the yeah. original podcasting was kind of now, yeah. Well, it was it, it worked, but it just didn't work financially. It was super popular there for a while, but it was yeah. There was the format was too short to do ads, so it's like we're just going to spend a lot of money, basically. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a shame, but we'll make something work. Fallen in love with the YouTube comment, but work frowns upon YouTube podcasts that rescue love this and keep it up i'm glad that we're helping distract people at their work <laughs> am i well that's the thing like today i found out it's hilarious because during work hours on Dude. in america in the that is when all the traffic comes and if it's like a vacation or weekends the traffic just like plummets and then as soon as people go back to work like the summer so you get a lot less traffic because you know you'll get like a, a drop because a lot of people are on vacation and stuff and doing stuff outside and not but as soon as everyone goes back to work in the winter you can totally just tell like this traffic just spikes up and it's like all right now we're just gonna all go read and surf around on the web today i found out ruining productivity since well, when did you yeah. start the website <laughs> yeah which ironically was started because i was you know when you procrastinate looking up fun stuff 
It was like, all right, well, now I got to do like the productive procrastination. So if I'm going to look up some fun stuff, I got to figure out how to make some money at it, you know, make it yeah. productive in some way rather than fight it. You know, I like how so. you call it productive procrastination. I just call it ruining my hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, so on YouTube, by the way, uh, one jungle drums. Apparently he should have just kept listening because we recommended, you remember when we recommended feeding poinsettias to your cat, right? Oh yeah. And so we lost I don't a think subscriber. We recommended it. Well, we, we mentioned, we mentioned that, you, you know, you could do it and it would be fine, but apparently he must've skipped that part because he was like, you just lost a subscriber. Obviously I love cats. Goodbye. Did he not hear the part? I was safe to feed. It, it could be that, or he could just be mentally deficient. Um. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure he's fine. But anyways, apparently we lost lost someone on that one. Um, this 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 is a bugbear of mine where people will make a comment about something that is clearly addressed in the video, like yeah. plain as day, and they'd oh. be like, uh, "Do you care to explain yourself?" And it'd be like, "How about you watch the video?" This I had a yeah. Twitter back and forth with someone the other day about this, and I was like, "Just watch the video. It's explained right in there, and I don't really feel like rehashing it." And he's like, "Great response." One of our most popular videos, the Kinder Egg one. You remember that one? Oh my uh, God. We still, to this day, everyone's like, it's not illegal in the US. You can find it. It's everywhere. It's in like all stores. And it's like, no, we literally explain in Blame the video this. that in that the... is a different product. Oh. And you you even I open get that photos different product. to my email of people with it. And they're like, look, it's a Kinder Egg. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, that is not. Literally, you, you actually bought some of this other product and oh. open it and show the difference. I literally right eat it on camera, explaining <laughs> the differences between the, between the two things. And to this and then, day, people will email me. And we even pin the top pinned comment on there is explaining people. It is a different thing. We talk about it at this point in the video. And yeah, it's kind I have of funny. had of all of the emails, I have found one person who sent me an email and I was like, oh God, this again. Genuine Kinder Egg. One person found like an yeah. illegal Kinder Egg supplier or something. Although weren't they launching it in the US at some point? There was some change yeah. or something. Yeah, so no, now... it's still it's still illegal. You still can only get the other one. So okay. but it is the other one is everywhere. Like you see it all over the place now. So and it does I mean the, the package does look the same. But it no, does. it's it doesn't look different. the same. I'm sorry. It's just the same shape. It's really yeah. different. Yeah, once you like, open one of them it, is it's totally oil different. wrapped around it. The other one is just plastic. Yeah, that's true. One of yeah, once you once you open it too, especially it's like. But either way, either way, that is a funny one. That's still like that's always. I mean, every time you just go look at random comments and just kind of scroll on our YouTube feed, comment feed, and it's just like, yep, there's another person being like, so no, it's not stop illegal. Stop being dumb. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's not just, complicated. Just stop it. God. I mean, I'm probably going to take some flack for this because it's like, well, people do that. They're watching your video. Come on, guys. <laughs> Clearly not paying attention. Um, oh, no way. No way. Literally, I just click our comment feed and this is 11 minutes ago. Uh, someone is saying that exact thing. What? You know? that, it's the, that it is the available? Yeah, that is actually available in the, in the US. So Welcome to our world. Anyway, on that cheery note, Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll be back after the holiday season with some more episodes. Yeah, so, on something. On something. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Do leave us a review. Uh, what were we saying? When we get to 300 reviews, we're giving away an Amazon gift voucher of $300. 300 yep. reviews, $300. Yep. Go do that. Um, wherever you want to leave it, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever people get podcasts these days. Um, yeah, so go do that. It'll be fun. Uh, anything else we need to add? Nope, I think that's good. Cool, let's wrap it up there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, whatever politically correct thing I have to say. I'm not even a religious or, person, but I feel like these days the, you've got to be like, and yeah. don't forget every other holiday celebration. 
Or there's also the the uh, may Krampus not take your child away in a wicker basket. I like that. That's what I'm going to say yeah. to people this holiday season. <laughs> All right. Good to talk. Bye. Oh my God. It got so extreme so quickly. <laughs>